0: Welcome one, welcome all, to this, the spectacle of the century, the final episode of the pros and cons, coverage of Get Out of Town by Nicole Ostow, that's right, it's us, pros and cons, the Riverdale book review podcast which is affiliated with the Riverdale television review podcast <laughs> River do's and River don'ts I am your host Quinn
1: and I am your other host Rob and this is the end
0: this is the frantic scrambling end we get to
1: we get to watch the intricate swiss watch of this plot reveal itself
0: to us everything in line. You know, not a thing out of place. I I certainly understand why this part of the book, part three, is called Dead Ringers after having read it.
1: Yes. Uh Uh-huh. Uh, Quinn, stand by. I'm going to look up if there is a horror movie called Dead Ringers.
0: It would be really fucking funny if she just called part three The show. Ringers is a
1: 1988 Canadian-American psychological film starring Jeremy Irons in a dual role as identical twin gynecologists. Uh, directed by David Cronenberg. Oh, hey. Uh, Let's see... Well, there's an abuse of prescription drugs subplot. <laughs> but it mostly seems about like people doing drugs and ending up killing each other. Um... Yeah, no, uh, it, it might just be that there was a movie one time. <laughs> wow. I mean, why the fuck not
0: at this point? Truly, why the fuck not?
1: But to really get into the essence of this why the fuck notness, we should probably actually go through the book. Like, one assumes if we go through enough of these pages, we'll find some words on them. Like, <laughs> besides truly, just line breaks and chapter markers.
0: Truly, but will they make any sense?
1: No. Uh, but our task is our task we gotta do it i have so many questions (laughs) chapter 21 veronica veronica chides herself for saying quote i'll be right back and manages to drop her phone which she is using as a flashlight when she cries out her voice quote echoes from the walls meaning that this basement is fucking huge, and also mysteriously unfinished compared to its prior description of a rich person's luxurious abode. Mm -hmm. Maybe someone came in here and took out all the furniture and carpeting, covering the sound of their work by timing with the thunderclaps of the storm.
0: Who could say?
1: Like in some Shawshank-level shit. I mean, somebody did the crown drawing on the fucking window, right? Like, maybe maybe they also refurbished the basement while everyone was
0: eating chips. Somebody sure did. We'll get to that. I mean, we won't really get to that, but because we won't, we will. Yes, exactly. I've got you. Oof.
1: Anyway, she stumbles around in the dark. Uh, then hears some breathing, and then someone grabs her leg, and the chapter instantly ends. That's that's what we get for this chapter. That's that is all that happens
0: in this chapter, aside mm, from her you say hearing some shouting. Rob and I want to I want to challenge you on that. No, it it it, feel free. Yes, I'll feel I'll feel the challenge. I'll feel the challenge. What's that? There's another one of this book's signature goosebumps screams. Oh, you're you're you're
1: of course right. I screamed is the uh is the final line of the chapter. I'm losing count of these like goosebumps chapter ends, and I feel like this isn't the last one we're gonna see.
0: But yeah, that was a chapter.
1: Yep. She did hear some shouting upstairs, but ignored it because she needed to go get the generator back online before the panic before the terribly designed panic room system activated again.
0: Yeah. So it wasn't like, and, it, I'm sorry, if there's someone in there, she's now locked in there. Yeah, if, that's how panic rooms up work, the Quinn. To keep up. Uh,
1: interestingly, Ostow did manage in a very roundabout, very shitty way to make something tense and an emergency. Like, yes. something is happening upstairs and Veronica cannot afford to worry about it because what she is doing is emergent. Like, she has to fix this generator problem before it goes into lockdown and, like, I guess, at this point, because there's no power and no one is down there, that would mean that, like, wait a fucking second. Yeah, somehow this time the actual backup generator gets knocked out, so they're, like, completely without power if she doesn't go down there and fix it, because you can't fix it if you're locked out right and and like at that point, the power outage is gonna notify uh, Hiram through like the security system company that everything's blacked out and, and like they need to go check that out. Mm-hmm. So like they managed to make something with stakes, but only because of this like completely unrealistic security system design that
0: we've already harped on. right. And this is like two and a half pages, but i I'll, I'll say that she does do a decent job of actually conveying some tension here.
1: yes, there uh, there
0: are moments where it's like, oh hey, what's going on? I think some of it's a little bit. I mean, it, the, silly. it
1: leans it leans on a really shit crutch of this panic room system, but yes. at least it like a thing was happening and there was stakes, like there was a potential for things to go wrong, like that. That's that's a fun thing. Uh, speaking of things that are fun, uh, chapter twenty-two, Archie is not that. Oh my, God. this chapter doesn't make any fucking sense. So, Arch, no, it's so amazing. Archie tries <laughs> to keep it together upstairs at the chip buffet, reminds himself that the gang's all here, like, like he forgot that his friends were there. Uh, object permanence, not fully mastered by Archie Andrews. It did get quite dark. Um, anyway, he thinks about how important it is for them to keep calm and all work together, but not, crucially, work together in a way of, like, I don't know, going downstairs with Veronica, who is the only person who has literally anything to do right now. <sighs> but, you know, there, there it is. And he is battling some, like, invasive thoughts, invasive images-style PTSD. But I have to go through this, like, rapid-fire series of images that goes through his head. It was a slideshow from my nightmares, from inside my head. And he says, Black Hood, Green Eyes, Dark Woods, Gun Knife, Synchro. And that's all, no, it's all in parenthesis in italics for some reason, and none of it is punctuated. That's fine, like, that evokes a feeling uh, of frantic, uh, panicked thought but like we got to play one of these things is not like the other thing. What the fuck is a sin crow <laughs> or is it just sin on its own and a crow? Like, th- but it's not black hood, green eyes, dark woods. Then we've got gun and knife, which I At guess least... in this pattern would be gun and knife, which is from final fantasy eight, but um, really like obviously gun and knife are on their own. And then sin and crow are very ambiguous because sin does, doesn't belong in this list that's abstract like that's sin isn't an image so you kind of have to say sin crow but what the fuck is that or i guess you could go in the other direction and say dark woods gun knife sin which i who did a did anyone do a knife sin in, in riverdale i don't really think so
0: i can't think of anything that would qualify as a nice. sin. Black Hood was
1: a gun and strangulation-based killer. Right. Uh, for the most part. I don't think there were any big... Sta- well, I mean, did Midge get stabbed to death? I think Midge might have been stabbed. That could have been but, a, a nice but But
0: uh, it's... And, like, sin is definitely the theme Uh, of the justification that the Black Hood uses for his crimes. But why is he flashing back
1: on Black Hood shit? This is Shadow Lake where he had a different traumatic experience that he has already flashed back on like 900 times in this book.
0: Well, uh, you'll find that this chapter seems to have forgotten that.
1: Yeah. Anyway, this chapter is about two pages long and it is 100% just Archie dwelling on how shitty and violent and scary his life has been until the point where he just loses it, and runs outside the cabin, screaming uncontrollably.
0: It's like and a cartoon the end of the character. He, he's like is, a cartoon character. With his arms flailing above his head, just going... <laughs>
1: you know... Quinn, have you partaken of the uh, video game masterpiece that is 1996's Super Mario 64? No, of course. You know when a fireball hits Mario and his ass is on fire Mm -hmm. and he screams and runs extra super fast and you can't slow down and there's a big trail of smoke coming out Mm -hmm. of his ass? Yeah. That is the only thing that came to my mind here. Just for no- all of a sudden, he's just screaming and running as fast as he can. And like, nothing happened. It's that happened.
0: or the Dr. Zoidberg exit.
1: Yeah, exactly. Nothing happened to make this happen. This is an effect without cause. We're getting into some like spontaneous super vacuum like, quantum physics shit here. The power went out and then Archie just thought about stuff for a while and freaked out. It's worse than if he freaked out immediately on the power going out, because he sat there dwelling on his past in a sort of angsty way for a while, and
0: then just went, ah! <laughs> and
1: ran out of the house. What?
0: It doesn't I I genuinely am not following what's but happening. We
1: don't have time to worry about it, Quinn, because it's time for chapter 23.
0: <laughs> the chapter that broke me. <sighs> Betty,
1: and it's not a diary. What? The fuck! It's in normal font. There's no D- dear diary. So what this means, Quinn? The implication, the unavoidable implication of this, is that is she that wrote they're... that
0: diary up until the point that they were having that party, and when the <laughs> lights went off, she stopped writing.
1: <sighs> yeah. Well, I mean, she wrote about other power outages, so not really. Uh, <laughs> Only, I mean, this this last power outage, like this yeah, most though, recent the second power, power outage. outage, which we've established through Jughead, is darker than the first power outage, actually.
0: It is a primordial darkness. Yeah, it is. A doily darkness.
1: It's, it's like, yeah, like untamed yonic chaos, like, like, like Babylonian myth. No, so like, that's weird. That is an accidental through line that's actually fucking great, is that this darkness is dark enough both to remind Jughead of his weird camping trip with Dilton Doily and dark enough to stop Betty writing in her diary while, while the first one was not. Yep. Uh, (laughs) but really what it what it really means is that there is actually a threshold of immediacy at which Ostow realizes that the diary format is stupid which should it's have been it's just so far beyond what that threshold would be in a sane mind it's a understand. different galaxy uh, but that's that is what i think happened i think she realized this is so immediate and so fast paced and 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 emergent that like the diary format wouldn't make sense which actually makes the sticking with the diary format when it made no sense through the rest of the book, worse.
0: It makes it way worse.
1: It goes back in time and actually makes it even dumber. Yes. Fucking amazing. Like, at this late hour, you know, slipping in a few more real big hits. (laughs) Betty feels another phone vibration and freaks out about it, because, like, is she really getting cell phone calls? Is she not? She has no cell service. The fact that she has no cell service causes her to freak the fuck out, and for some reason she becomes so desperate to get some cell signal, to check on what's going on with the phone, that she just literally fucking runs outside uncontrollably as well, shortly after Archie does. Despite the fact that, like, going outside would not make your cell service better, one assumes if there's any kind of cell service boosting technology it would be aimed at the fucking luxury mansions and not at the goddamn woods. But Jughead tries to stop her and she literally shakes him off, like she's she she resists an attempt to physically restrain her from acting this fucking weird. And right now again, Jughead
0: to... is the Dilton doily. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Jughead has become the Dilton.
1: There is just this. It's another one of these unbelievably weird, unbelievably weird confluences. Why it's is like... everybody flipping out like this? But, but like, but Quinn, the fact that she has no cell service causes her to leave in a mad rush in a perfect echo of that unmotivated, terrible flashback from before. It is like the flashback was added in a backwards compatible way. To justify this fucking reaction from Betty, but I literally can't tell if she's like, this reaction from Betty that I need to have happen is way too crazy, so I'm going to go and put it in this flashback. Or if she was like, well, I need to do something here with Betty, and boy, that flashback already established that people not having cell phone service makes them run around like chickens with their heads cut off, so I'm good. You can't tell which way it went.
0: Have you instead considered, Rob, that if you look at the plot of this book at a distance, that it's like poetry and it rhymes? It rhymes. Ugh. I, I none of this makes any sense. And so Benny we've got multiple so...
1: instances of darkness from the same source being more dark than before and multiple instances of not having cell phone service causing people to run, screaming uncontrollably, uh, right hot on the heels, both literally and figuratively, of another person freaking out and running uncontrollably for a different non-reason. Yeah, so she runs like hell and mentally notes, despite her panic that we've established, that, you know, she's in a complete panic, she's not acting rationally, she mentally notes that she knows she won't get a cell phone signal out here in the woods. What?
0: Why did she go outside?
1: She, she ran outside frantically because she wanted to go get cell phone signal. And the first thing she does while still uncontrollably running is think, you know, I know I'm not gonna get cell phone signal out here. Why even write these goddamn sentences into the book? This doesn't make sense, reader. What you are reading right now is bullshit. That's what that is. Mm Mm-hmm. Breathtaking. She runs into Archie, literally, physically, and there is a very, very forced will-they-won't-they moment, which appears to derive from nothing more than the fact that the two of them are alone and emotionally elevated. I mean, I guess they're 15, so it's something I... But it's really, really lame. Uh, anyway, Betty no and of course nothing happens because that would alter the plot of the show. Mm-hmm. Betty notices a creepy shack with maybe a light on inside, and she and Archie get fucking just black bagged. Just black bagged, and the chapter ends.
0: Suddenly, a cloth sack, a hood, was slipped over my head. A hood. A hood. <laughs> Oh, the ghost of Tim
1: Allen is haunting this podcast once again. Oof. Uh, Listen all the way back to early Riverdos and Riverdotes if you want to get that reference. Or don't! (laughs) Yeah, so, uh, chapter 24, obviously that's it, chapter 24, Jughead. Jughead wants to follow Betty, but he realizes he's screwed without a flashlight, Even, even keeled, thinking on the level, cool and collected is our Jughead. So he needs to go downstairs... And find Veronica, who has the only flashlight, I guess. Even though they all have phones, and she was using a phone flashlight, no one else has phones.
0: But they've said that they don't want to use them because they don't want to, like, run out of battery. But it seems like a good time to seems maybe risk it. like a time to
1: maybe, maybe risk
0: some percentages there, Jughead. But anyway, he runs downstairs. It's just really weird to think that, like, five minutes ago, they were eating chips and drinking wine. And and talking about how they found one clue, maybe. <laughs> He sees
1: someone out the corner of his eye running for the exit, in his words, which I assume is the door at the top of the stairs. So somehow, someone literally got past him on the stairs without him seeing or, like, attempting to stop him. I guess. Because <laughs> he's going down the stairs and someone gets past him. Would you leave. not
0: assume immediately that might be Veronica? The object of his search? Like, it's either that or... Or, like, an invader. if It seems like you do There is do no something.
1: situation where this is not something to react to. Anyway, he gets locked downstairs with Veronica, as the panic function was not bypassed in time, apparently. Again, what a good security system. <laughs> <laughs> he meets with Veronica and walks her through how to reset the generator ending the chapter. That's it. This chapter exists for no reason other than to make the movements of our invader less plausible.
0: And I guess also
1: you could have just not said how this person got from place to place. It would have been a lot better,
0: especially because uh, their identity is not clear ever. I, I don't mean, think.
1: I, fe- I feel like we get it at the end.
0: All right. It's just
1: like it's there's no reason for there to be like. So if we want to do like a law of conservation of characters, we know that this invader is in fact Dilton Doyle. It, it there's there's no reason for there to be a second person.
0: There is Basically. no reason for there to be a second person.
1: However, at the same time, <laughs> maybe we're giving them too much credit. But no, I think I think it's Dilton. We will get into some timeline stuff because of Dilton and it's bad. Anyway, chapter 25, Veronica, we're we're, we're turning these chapters out quick. We're already back to Veronica. Jughead reveals that he found a thumb drive inside a locked lockbox up in Hiram
0: Lodge's office. Am I missing something, or was that just not in that chapter? That was not covered
1: previously. He somehow unlocked this lockbox, and managed to avoid both telling his friends about it in their let's discuss what we have found so far discussion, and managed to hide it from the fucking reader. In his first-person POV! Was everyone hiding something during that discussion? Well, let's see, at least Betty was only hiding, like, prescription pill addiction that has nothing to do with the plot. Was Veronica hiding something, or was it just Archie and Jughead being colossal dumbasses?
0: I think it might have just been Archie and Jughead, but Veronica took way too long to talk about the, um, the camera problems.
1: Yes. But, yeah, so Jughead had a flash drive that he picked the lock of a lockbox to get, and did not tell either the reader or his friends about, despite having a first-person POV section in that room, and a discussion whose purpose was to share what they had found. Why would you not show that on screen? Because she hadn't thought of it yet. (laughs) The thumb drive matches a missing drive from a case with numbered drives corresponding to the security camera, so there is some hope that the burderers are caught on this footage, that this is the security camera footage from the entryway security camera, which is very convoluted. It was locked in a lockbox upstairs in the less secure office rather than the secret security room in the basement. Why?
0: Why, though? To separate the pieces, you gotta keep the pieces separate.
1: But not separate, like, take them away or delete no. them or no. or anything of that sort. Uh, this is like this is like the much more powerful offspring of the, like, why the fuck is there just a fucking flash drive with murder evidence on it from season one of Riverdale. Mm-hmm. They arm themselves with some big X-Files ass flashlights and head off after Betty and Archie in the woods. Chapter ends. We're going to get back to this thumb drive in our wrap up. <laughs> but this thumb drive is part of, like, this is the linchpin... This is the little, the little, um... Ah, oh God, what's it called? You know where you chisel and, like, you put a little thing in there to, like, wedge its way in there and really bust something up? Like, a, mm-hmm. like maybe it's just called a wedge or a shim or something? I think it's a wedge, yeah. But this is the wedge that, like, utterly obliterates the world of this story. Uh And we'll get to that.
0: But i cannot wait to talk about how dilton doily is nightcrawler or something (laughs) yeah or something
1: chapter 26 archie archie wakes up with betty in some fucking place or another it's probably the shed but we really don't take much like effort to describe it they're just in a place and the creepy twins from the general store are there and archie is about to just go fucking ape shit but betty implores him to listen to what they have to say
0: they appear to be about to advance the plot when the door bursts open. And that's the end of the chapter. Yep. Oh, hey, it's the twins from the general store. Shut up, Archie. Stop struggling. Listen. Someone enters. wa da 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 Yeah. That's that's it. Uh, chapter 27,
1: Betty. Turns out it's Veronica and Jughead who burst through the door. So that's good, at least. We've got people in the same place, so we're not doing this shit anymore. I, like, sweet summer child me, I thought, okay, they're all in the same place, so we're not just going to waste a bunch of time, like, channel surfing between nothing happening with characters. But we, what we actually find starting in the next chapter is something even more horrible and, and like, even more blatant in its wasting of our time. But, uh, yeah. Jughead is all pissy with the creepy twins from the general store and remarks, quote, it's like Chekhov's creepy murder twins. If you introduce them in the first act, they have to go off in the third. Fuck off, Jughead. Fuck right off. These characters were introduced on a page a 100 and a 25 in part two of the goddamn book. It was part two. This, you can't reference story structure like this explicitly and just have it be
0: wrong. Unless (laughs) you go with the theory that basically act one of the book is part two of the book and act one of the book was simply preamble to get the page count up. I mean, yeah, it's almost like we're
1: co-signing that like,
0: yeah, oof,
1: oof. Paul and Amelia, the names of these twins, explain that they're on the same side as the Core Four. And that their anger and shittiness at them earlier in the general store was, uh... Mumble, mumble something. They seemed like spoiled city kids. Fuck off. Stop asking questions. They're actually friends. They're on the same side. They were just being hostile towards them because they have every reason in the world to not like them. But they are on the same side, I guess. Uh, they knew that they had a common enemy the whole time. And common purpose in, in dealing with Hiram Lodge. And they were just shitty at the core for purely as an unmotivated red herring, I guess. Just
0: misplaced Lodge rage. They reveal that Hiram
1: has spies everywhere. This... And that Ben, uh, Dilton Doyle's no-account friend Ben, who in fact did overhear their stupid asses at POPs, let Hiram know that they were going to Shadow Lake and that Hiram sent someone after them. The twins uh, decided to go after whoever went after the Core Four on the assumption that there was someone going after them. They didn't know that someone was going after them, but (laughs) they assumed that because the Core Four were going there, that Hiram Lodge would be sending someone after them and they needed to, like, keep an eye out on that. Are are we we good? Are we following here? Oh, yeah. Now, I want to point out at this point that this explanation that the twins give is presented as true in the story. Like, we don't have a twist later on that, ooh, maybe they're uh, lying and, like, actually they are bad or that they have a different agenda
0: or something like like that. 17 or less pages left of the book. Yeah, there's
1: like nothing left. There's nothing left in in this uh in this book. And so we certainly are meant to believe this explanation and the following insane shit that happens uh, as their story continues. But <laughs> I am actually looking for something specific here and so when unknown ID were texting each other all the way back on page 144 145 like, they're talking to each other about have the main four seen the dead crows. Watching now, sending images, you can pass these along up the chain. Like, what's the chain? And what did the, like, are we to think that unknown ID are not Dilton Doily? So and are not- or an accomplice? Like, it seems like this is situated that this is the kids from the general store texting each other about the main four looking at the dead birds. But, like, they don't have reasons to text each other this shit, nor is there any chain up which they can pass
0: this information or these images. Right, meaning the only other explanation is that it is Dilton Doily and probably Penny Peabody. Except they have plenty of fucking text messages throughout the book where there's not unknown ID. If you're expecting her to be consistent in her gimmicks, Rob, let me point you to the Betty chapters. I'm just,
1: I'm just gonna say that like this text exchange by the end of the book is rendered to like make absolutely no sense, no matter what characters it is. No, it, it
0: you can't make sense of it.
1: Yeah, so anyway, Paul and Amelia tell this story. Their mom was killed being hit by a car while she crossed the street. And the stuff around this is so fucking vague. Like, I read over this over and over, and I can't make heads or tails of it. I'm going to go directly to the text, because we have characters making conclusions about it, and it's just like, but you didn't write what happened in the book. How do the characters know what happened? Um... It's complicated, but, well, our mother died. She was hit by a car three years ago, Amelia said. I swallowed. I'm so sorry. Whose fucking chapter is this? Betty. Betty? Betty present tense. Betty, not diary Betty. Paul shrugged. Yeah, the thing was, she was just crossing the street. Wrong place, wrong time. It was someone else's, quote, accident. She was just collateral damage. It was a hit, Archie guessed. Now it was Amelia's turn to shrug. The person who was the target, who also died... He'd been the president of the Shadow Lake Executive Board. And, like, we go on to, like, this is, like, Shadow Lake money machinations by Hiram Lodge. What the fuck happened? Like... Their mom happened to cross the street in front of what? Like a Shadow Lake executive whose brakes were cut and like she died, but did not arrest the car's momentum or direction enough to cause it like, like it still killed him. Are you serious that Hiram Lodge is going to kill someone by just sabotaging the brakes on their car, which like has to have like an almost 0% rate of actually killing. Like it's, It's the most unreliable shit ever. Like, if they just steer a certain way, they'll just wreck their car, but not even get hurt. Versus get hurt, versus die. Like, it is so uncertain. And, like, this, this, oh no! Like, my car won't stop! And just, like, fucking, they hit this random person, and then still die. I mean, Hiram's plans are all really, really bad, so I guess I should probably just, like, let this go. But, like, we're meant to believe that the reason that these characters were following the main four was because their mom got hit by a car that they somehow in the moment were able to divine was sent by Hiram Lodge, it was part of one of Hiram Lodge's machinations. Uh, and Archie just from- from- from the fact that a car hit their mom was able to (laughs) assess that it was a hit.
0: Ah yes, classic hit.
1: How does this- none of this makes any sense.
0: Anyway Jughead's
1: like, well at least we have some proof to go on now, proudly producing the thumb drive. And lightning strikes again! And he drops the thumb drive! And apparently Paul sees something spooky chapter ends. I don't know if I can continue, Quinn, because... We're so close. If this book has been an elevator ride to hell, the, the door opens now. We now begin okay. a very fast sequence of chapters. Even that faster I want... than the sequence that yes. has come before. And I want to say... This technique is what I would like to call narrative mache. Where we say something, and then we say most of it again and say a little sliver of something else. And then we say most of that again and say a little sliver of something else. Like, we're painting on these thin layers to build a three-dimensional shape out of narrative. So little happens, and we hear it all over and over and over again. (laughs) Chapter 28. Jughead, What Paul saw was a fucking bomb. There is a bomb in the shed. They rush out of the shed and it fucking explodes, taking the thumb drive with it. Yes, that's all. That is an entire chapter. Chapter 29, Veronica. The same thing happens from Veronica's perspective. The shed goes boom, the thumb drive goes boom. The thing we get is that Veronica is sad and wants to protect Archie. Chapter is over. That is all you get. Chapter 30, Betty. Veronica
0: is sad. Sound familiar? <laughs> I'm sorry. It does It does lead in with, it can't be over. That's what Veronica said through thick sobs. <laughs> what? Yep. I'm not familiar with that turn of phrase. I, I mean, I guess your voice can get thick when you're, like, really well, emotional. Uh, uh, yeah.
1: But it's... Betty thinks about how she's addicted to pills, hallucinating, having jumbled memories, and her general angst over having a serial killer for a dad. And that's it! N- mm. So there's She something asks
0: in... what they're gonna do. She does ask what they're gonna do. And there's something in here that just with all of the misunderstanding and misrepresentation of technology, I have to draw attention to. Lay it on me. My mind was filled with static, and my phone screen still cracked, webbing spreading like a disease. Still said, no, missed, calls phones don't say that phones <laughs> tell you when you have missed a call
1: yeah she's hallucinating that it's telling her there are no missed calls i guess
0: what the f- what <laughs> what it's it's as easy as just looking at
1: your phone Nicole. this is like a russian nesting doll made out of pure madness like don't look at any part of this for long or you'll lose your mind again like i said this this novel is a ritual to azathoth Anyway, let's talk about Uh, the last chapter. Chapter 31, Archie, the same goddamn thing again. It's over. Their evidence is gone. They need to leave before the cops show up. Betty says they need to report the fire at the shed to, quote, control one tiny part of the story for as long as they can. What? 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 (laughs) There's no narrative to spin here, Betty. Like, telling the fire department that there's a fire at the shed does what? In your battle against Hiram Lodge, except raise tell questions him when you're not there, in the there? fire department shows up. Yeah, like 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 you're just announcing where you are. Okay, Hiram Lodge knowing and Hiram Lodge being able to prove that you were at Shadow Lake are two different things. He probably already knows, and in fact, we learn by the end he definitely already knows that they're at Shadow Lake. He puppet-mastered this whole thing, like he 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 is the source Big of everything messing around. Them. Puppet master. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, but but he he knows that they're there. But he can't prove that they were there, uh, probably. Whereas if they call the fire department, they they're there. It's provable that they're there. And what the fuck is wrong with someone else reporting a fire? It's not described as a rapidly spreading inferno. They're not going to burn down the whole woods. Like, it is an isolated fire on a wet night on a wet night, like a super rainy night, that no doubt other people will see anyway, because this is like a residential area, and they heard the explosion. There's no fucking way that, like... In fact, they already said in this chapter that the cops must already be on their way because of the explosion. And do you think the cops are just gonna be like... Oh, there's a fire, but that's not my department. I refuse to even make a phone call.
0: Like, when has something not being a cop's job stopped a cop from doing it? Well, not to mention, like, this is a rich person's house, so
1: they actually would, in fact, like, try to secure some form of aid for the situation. It's gonna be fine, you morons! And they decide to, like, call it in uh, anonymously, which is great. Except there's no such thing as anonymity, and, like, they're using their cell phones to do it. So they just—they, in fact, did prove that they were there. Uh, so now Archie's case falls apart in court. We already know that he's going to jail, because uh, that's clearly the plot line they're setting up for Season 3. But, like, they ruined any chance of proving Archie's innocence. It's not even that, like, they didn't accomplish anything in this book. They actually made everything worse. And if this book was, like, actually canon— Which we, I know we have the bit of trying to make it all make sense, which is great. But like, if this book actually happened, season three would more or less begin with them being like, you guys are a bunch of crooks. All of you are going to jail. Yeah. Anyway, we get an epilogue of text messages next. Ethel drops another text to Dilton, who does not respond to her, but Dilton does does send a text message reporting to Penny Peabody that the deed is done. Penny Peabody and Hiram Lodge share some mustache twirling and remark on, like, wow, he sure had explosives, didn't he? Sweet Pea wants to, like, make sure that he's out and that the serpents are out now that he's connected Penny to Dilton. And... Penny basically laughs right in his face and says, like, no, that's not how this works.
0: You're Hiram's bitch forever now. Which is how Penny Peabody has always operated. I don't know what anyone was expecting.
1: Yes, like, why is anyone surprised? Jughead, uh, then gets the POV on the epilogue and spins some woe is us, uh, I, I like to coin a term here, foetic uh, phoetic wankery, and then it's curtains on this book. That's the end. That's the end of the book. Like, n- we accomplished nothing, we're fucked, the end. Great stuff. Now the fun begins. Because we have all the context now, there's no more room for further reveals. The story is over. So now it's time to try to make sense of Hiram Lodge's evil plan.
0: I warn you, it's very, very bad. It doesn't make any, any sense, it can't make any sense.
1: First, he hears about the kid's plan to go to Shadow Lake. From Ben, who was spying on his behalf for reasons that we didn't explore in the book. And he decides to hire Dilton Doyle. Second, somehow during the time it takes for the Corps four to drive to Shadow Lake, he has Penny Peabody lean on Sweet Pea to get them in touch with Dilton. This took like half the book. So Hiram we only can conclude was able to just see the future or was, like, interested in hiring Dilton Doily anyway, I guess? The fact that Ben tips him off that the Core Four are headed to Shadow Lake cannot be the impetus for him seeking to hire Dilton Doily because we saw that this was a very long process involving lots of characters over a long stretch of time. So he was al- he right. had already hired Dilton Doily. The timeline is just not presented realistically, I guess. And like he already had Dilton in his pocket, so when he heard from Ben that the Core Four were going to Shadow Lake, he just called Dilton up immediately, or had Penny call him up immediately.
0: Right, you're the explosives weirdo, right?
1: Right. Even assuming that Dilton had explosives all prepared. Already, which is probably a fair assumption with how fucking crazy he is. Because he's going to prison. Yes. He did have to pack up all his shit and somehow magically teleport to Lodge Lodge, well ahead of the Core 4, who got a head start on him, to set up the dead crow display. The supplies for which he had also to already just fucking have on hand, Dilton Doily keeps live crows for the purpose of murdering them as like a creepy warning.
0: Let's hope he pays for them by the bird. He
1: is a hobbyist birderer. Yeah, so, so he just keeps the crows around so that he can freshly murder them as a bloody dead crow welcome wreath for people at a moment's notice. That is what we must conclude. Third, Dilton sneaks inside Lodge Lodge and spooks around avoiding all detection by all the characters there the whole time but draws a fucking crown on the window condensation for absolutely no reason. He sneaks downstairs at some point and grabs Veronica's leg for no reason other than it reminded him of a time when he was a little bit younger that Jughead went on a camping trip with him, accomplishing nothing, and runs past Jughead somehow unseen and unstopped to get outside. Fourth, when the kids all gather by complete fucking happenstance in the gardening shed. Dilton has already set up an explosive in there. Somehow. Even though Veronica was grabbed by him in the cellar after Archie and Betty ran outside. So during the time that it took for Paul and Amelia to drag Archie and Betty forcefully into the shed, Dilton had to get past them and arrive at the shed before they did and set up a bomb. You know, to blow up the shed. In case blowing up the shed were to somehow become important. Like for example, if someone were to pick the lock of a lockbox in the upstairs office, obtain the thumb drive inside, and instead of looking at the files on the thumb drive, keep it on their person and end up running into the gardening shed. Is that all? Oh no. Fifth. Kaboom. Now the evidence is destroyed. But the evidence of what, Quinn? What is the evidence of? The evidence of Dilton Doily being there, which had no reason to happen! Dilton was sent to Lodge Lodge to destroy the evidence of Dilton having been at Lodge Lodge, and to dump dead birds on the porch. That was the objective of Hiram Lodge who could have just erased the footage from that camera remotely if he had any kind of advanced security system. And also, either Dilton or some other agent of Hiram was clearly the one who moved the thumb drive from its place downstairs to the locked lockbox upstairs in the office, meaning that this evidence was in his hand, but he decided to put it in the lockpickable lockbox instead of just keeping it on him until the core four left because he needed to like see into the future and set a bomb in a shed where he assumed it would somehow end up. So Hiram's plan was to have Dilton Doily dump dead crows on the porch, lock the thumb drive with the video of himself putting the dead bird on the porch in a lockbox upstairs and destroy his garden shed. Not to destroy the evidence, mind you, because if he wanted the evidence destroyed rather than just moved, he'd have had Dilton fucking do that. So the actual plan was dump dead crows Move the evidence of you dumping the dead crows and then destroy my garden shed. If Hiram Lodge does not have complete omniscience and the ability to see the future, that is all he wanted from Dilton. Was dead birds, a thumb drive moved from downstairs to upstairs, and that shed was turning into kind of an eyesore, so blow that shit up.
0: So, I had the realization as you were describing all of this to me, that there is one read on this that makes any kind of sense. And that is, Dilton Doily is in fact the protagonist of an immersive sim video game. And this is one of the stages that he has to clear. This is Dilton Doily's Dishonored level.
1: So you think that he was just grinding up his stealth skill? It could have like been. Like he, he was, was intentionally putting himself where he had to be very sneaky to not be detected for the purpose of getting more ranks in his stealth. Right. And like ranks and demolitions because the uh shed was blow upable. Mm-hmm. Like it, it like the, the main lodge was, was not interactable in that way. Right. Okay. And it was just poorly coded. Yeah, just very poorly coded. In that removing the evidence was the quest objective, and he did that, but, like, putting it somewhere where they can find it afterwards was not factored into people's thinking. And he just left it there because he was upstairs, like, Skyrim grinding
0: his lockpicking skill. Something like that, yeah. Or he knew that there was a weird thing in the AI, and that if he moved the flash drive to the study, that Jughead would find it, which would... Cue the line of interactions that would bring everybody to the shed, and he hadn't done that variation on the quest yet.
1: Oh, okay. So he actually was, and he was trying to kill them. They just made their like reflex check to get out of the mm-hmm. shed. Okay. Um. So this ends with like a role playing game version of Gary's mod. Then I guess so. I hated this book. Genuinely filth. It's it's g- so bad. It's bad. It's way worse than the first one.
0: Way, way. Way way worse. Like like
1: like the way that we were like absolutely unprepared for how much crazier season 2 was than season 1 of the TV show. It's the same pattern but just with like how bad the quality is. Yeah. This ending. I I know that it's interstitial between established things of the show and like it can't be required reading. So like Austo's hands are tied. She can't have, like, long-lasting impacts on the show. But you could make a standalone story and just suspend the disbelief that the characters don't talk about it during the show. Like, you can make just an episodic little story that stands on its own and is interesting in some way. Yeah, yeah. Like a lot of, like, anime series do with their movies, right? Right. Why the fuck not? Or their filler arcs, to put not too fine a point on it. Like, there is... A rich tradition of narratives doing this, <laughs>
0: mm-hmm.
1: but that is uh, not what Mikol Ostao did here.
0: No, it, it has so much to do with the main plot that there is no justification for them not talking about this ever again.
1: Even though nothing happens, it's so intimately tied in with all the important stuff for the beginning of season three that they would I- instantly be talking about this. That is, this was a move that Hiram took against them. Like, he prevented them from effectively investigating. So that's, like, a, a point of angst for the trial. Is like, we could have tried to prove Archie's innocence, but, but fucking Hiram ruined it for us because he was very prescient. This is in the imaginary world where, like, this story works on any level, right? right? But, so even if it had worked, it would be problematic in that... It, it's very unbelievable that they wouldn't talk about it, rather than, like, a self-contained episode, a side story.
0: Right. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever.
1: No, it's very, very and, bad.
0: You know, she's not allowed to, like, leave a lasting mark on the series, but I would argue that what she's done to Dilton Doily is something else.
1: He's the only thing I care about in these books, besides Venom, which, by the way, we never saw. I know,
0: what the fuck?
1: We didn't get to see the Snake Girl band, and I am fucking pissed about it.
0: Like, the entire Josie and Sweet Pea and Reggie plotline was just to contextualize Dilton and raise a lot of questions about how he got from Riverdale to Shadow Lake. Yeah, it's
1: it's it just... It makes me so mad, right? Like, the snake version of Josie and the Pussycats would have been easily the best thing in this book. And, like, the best thing in this book is the fucking, like, Griffins and Gargoyles shit, which is obviously just stuff that's borrowed from the future season of the show. Right. But if you want to take things that are, like, book original, just like the first book, it's the wild shit that they do with Dilton Doily. Like he is actually like the only interesting thing in these books, but we know we can't actually do anything with it, really. You wanna, do you want to you want to hear something horrible?
0: Lay it on me. This book
1: averages a rating of 3.68 out of 5 on Goodreads. What? Let's 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 Could sift you... through some reviews a I would love bit. to
0: hear like a a great Five star and like maybe a one star review on this bad All right, boy.
1: I've got a four star here. Let me see if there's any five star reviews. A lot of fours and threes. Okay, this five star review is a troll review. It says LMAO ten slash ten had zero plot holes and Archie is still a chill and likable guy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, let's see. I- I'm I'm looking for a five star. It may not have any. Yeah. Like, there may be, like, a lizard brain level where, like, everyone can know that this is at least not perfect. Never mind, here are some five-star reviews. Great. This is a great addition to the story that is Riverdale. It gives you more when the show goes on break. The author really makes the effort to stick to the storylines that the show has placed, and I appreciate that.
0: Let me say this. I absolutely do not. I do not appreciate that. No, like, at all. the
1: author does not add anything and does not give us any entertainment. I love it. This book was interesting. It showed how friends can impact your life. I also liked it because it was just like the Netflix show. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it shows how friends can impact your life? Not in Here's any another good five way. Star. Here's
1: another five star. Love it. Read it at 10 p.m. and it may have given me shivers a little. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha.
0: That wasn't very funny though.
1: No. And then just one word: amazing. This was so good! Exclamation mark! Heart, heart. Uh, let's let's find a one star if we can, and we'll we'll go with a beefy two star review if you know if we can't find a one star review because obviously there there are many 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 more ratings than there are reviews. Right, right.
0: Because I think I could say without hesitation, I would rate this uh, a one-star book. I think the day before might be a two-star book. This is a one-star book.
1: Oh, yeah. I can't. This is just bad. (laughs) Boring as hell. (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate just the, the, like... The distilled, that's a a really good whiskey shot of a review. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Boring as hell. Um, let's see. Nothing happened with the plot. In fact, nothing really happened at all. Average read for me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's a good cell phone. I appreciate that.
1: Uh <laughs> This one's too long, but... Oh, I just saw SJW, so I'm not going to read this review. It's very, very long.
0: I don't even know how you go off on the SJW stuff in this book. I've been trying to think about, like... Because I tend to, like, lean into politics in my analysis of things.
1: I mean, there was the incredibly cringy, terrible, feminist thing about the boys sitting in the front seat of the car. There,
0: wa- That was wild.
1: That was pretty wild. If being an SJW meant... Saying stuff like that, I would be on board with making fun of SJWs, but that was just pure stupidity, is what that was.
0: Right. Uh, but like these these books in a lot of ways, like <laughs> they defy like a nuanced political read. Like it's it is oh, hard yeah. to even no, it's fabricate completely in- it's incoherent. the political substance of these because of the incoherence.
1: Yeah, it's not even ju- like the incoherence stretches
0: way beyond plot and well into theme. And th- there are there are certain things that you can like latch on to in terms of the way that the book is constructed. As it reflects like a political um, ideology or a worldview, in as much as despite the fact that most of the bad people are incredibly wealthy, wealth is still this thing that is sort of like uh, idolized or fetishized and held up as this aspirational thing. Uh huh. As are brands and franchises. It is so oh god entrenched in like the the nerd culture mixed with like high society, the high society version of that where it like it almost prizes intertextuality uh, or referentiality oh God, over yeah. substance in a way that is essentially glorifying the edifice of modern capital.
1: Of pop culture. Yeah, and itself. of pop culture.
0: And that's as far as I can go with the political read, because nothing else about this is fucking coherent enough for me to try to make sense of anything.
1: Ugh, executive producer J.J. Like, Abrams.
0: I can't, I can't figure... What is the worldview view? You know? When I talk about like the politics of something, I in a lot of ways I'm talking about the worldview that it espouses.
1: Riverdale sucks and we shall face challenges. That's that's all. Right. (laughs) Like the TV series, it's bad, but you just can't stop watching (laughs) slash (laughs) reading.
0: Fair enough, I'll take it. There
1: I'll yeah, that's that's probably my favorite one, just for pure accuracy. Holy shit. It's over, though. We got through.
0: We're on the other side.
1: Yes, we are. And, like, we get to do Little A Riverdoos and River don'ts as a treat now. Oh, uh, I'm, s- I'm coming so excited, up, Folks, we're going to watch season three. Yeah, after this, it doesn't matter if season three is notably worse than season two. I don't remember
0: season two anymore. I just remember these books, and they're so <laughs> bad.
1: <laughs> It'll be, cl- like, it will be a, like cleansing of our
0: souls i assume give me the beat boys in free my Skeet soul Ehrlich
1: as fb I... jones will be in the show and like madeline patch's uh cheryl will be in the show there's no way it's not a hundred times better than this
0: it has to be it has to be it i'm not saying it has to be good i i assume alice cooper's character
1: is gonna get absolutely mangled again but like match Amick amic still does Ma- yeah make Amick amic will still be there and she'll be great so, my God. Yeah, we're doing season three. Then I then we have at least one more book to do. I think we <laughs> so, have to do
0: two books after season three. It may three. be
1: two books between season three and four. But yeah, we are going to be coming back to the River Do's and River Don'ts format. Uh, and we'll be joined by a special guest for season three. And uh, it's definitely going to be a different kind of fun than this. <laughs> Imagine trying to do a River Do and a River Don't for each chapter in this. Fuck, I Imagine. would die. I would die. All of it is just a weekly weird with like a conjoined twin River Don't. Right. Like there's nothing good in here.
0: Yeah, no. My my one star review of this book is ooh stinky.
1: <laughs> Fair enough. Abandon all hope, ye who enter here. But we earned our freedom. Our freedom, yeah, our freedom. I love it. Thank you for joining me on this horrible, horrible odyssey, Quinn. Uh, our watch has not yet ended, but we do have a brief respite in the form of season three, which we will be bringing to y'all probably fairly soon. So, uh, for for river do's and river don'ts, and the the, the, the last. Sign off for pros and cons in a Riverdale iteration for a while. Thank
0: fucking God. I've been Rob. I've been Quinn. Good night and good luck.